Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Krakovich and Leon Wigard. Sam, plenty of headlines. Oh, where do you start, Leon? But let's be on a positive note. You and I, we don't dabble in uh, idiosyncratic uh, tendencies or ill-informed. Let's move on. I think, oh, well, one... I, th- I think you've already lost half the audience with that big, <laughs> long word. <laughs> I, think, I think the positive is the AFL. I think they would be absolutely besotted and beside themselves with the opening week of the finals. Only Richmond being beaten would have cost them a bit. Well, perhaps so, but in the broader scheme of things, I don't know. I think Brisbane, they've got a huge following and they've got a lot of appeal as well. But I think the, the Collingwood-Geelong uh, game, it was outstanding. You know, it was one of the it great was. contests. And look, not that I'm a cynic, but I've been a little bit disenchanted with the contemporary game. But that was a game of, you know, that restored the faith, I reckon. It was, you know, one of the great anathemas or one of the great uh, blights in our game has been congestion. And I reckon that was a game that Collingwood takes the game on. I reckon Collingwood have been a revelation this year. I've got a bit of that. Have you? <laughs> but I reckon they've been a revelation, not only from a, not only from a, from their own personal perspective, but also from a broader footballing sense. Yeah. That they've turned the game on their on their terms into a, a very very watchable encounter. They've been fantastic. Unfortunately, they got rolled. Geelong had to stand up. They otherwise they would have been labelled for life. And of course, Footscray. What do you, what do you say about them? A seven goal deficit. I can only recall one. At, once before that happened, I think a 42-point deficit. Yeah, well, that, that was the undoing of Brisbane. I, I really went into that Brisbane-Richmond game so negative in my thoughts because yeah. I thought, I don't think Brisbane have really played overly well since that Richmond debacle where we were 40, right. 44 points up, I think. Something like that. And you got knocked off. Well, that takes a bit of – sometimes that – knocks the stuffing out of you and uh, oh, no doubt. so I was a bit pessimistic going I mean who wouldn't be because Richmond was probably the former side of the competition so the side you at least want to play coming into the finals because they were on the up you're dead right they had the momentum up their players were on a high and their performances were fantastic but right it was, and it was good effort by Brisbane you, got to, you, you can't knock them but uh, I, uh, I just thought Collingwood were outstanding and even though they lost and I thought Footscray were, you know, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked there. We still call them Footscray, don't I we? Do, I Western do. Bulldog, I'm, old school. I'm old school there. So, so as it stands now, uh, the obvious one is Geelong. Well, Geelong and Melbourne. Melbourne play... Uh, what, uh, Melbourne play... Uh, uh, us. The Lions. The Lions play uh, Melbourne and the, uh, the Dockers will play Collingwood. Mm. That's the two finals coming up. Geelong, and rightfully so, along with what's the name of earned the week off. So, there you go. And it's, uh, as you say, rightly so, uh, the AFL would be delighted. And uh, they've handled it pretty well so far, uh, the AFL. Uh, keep in mind that no matter what business you're in, very hard to get staff. So all those people involved with putting on a final, 100,000 people, a lot of people, hundreds and hundreds, they had to get them from somewhere. A lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of, lot of headaches, but they've worked through that... Uh through those muddy waters extremely well, I think. Our guest today on Sport and Life with the compliments of Mitchell and Wines, <laughs> by the way, Sam, now, a bit early in the morning, but uh, we opened a second bottle of uh, print. I've got to tell you about our guest before you formally, yeah. interview, formally uh, introduce, introduce him. him. Thank you. 
Uh, we might be very lucky this week because unbeknownst to him, well, we're going to inform him, obviously, that uh, all our guests are in receipt of a couple of bottles of our wonderful Mitchelton uh, product, whether it be a Shiraz or to his liking. Uh, I don't know whether you know or not, but this particular guest of ours owns two uh, wonderful establishments called hotels. So he's got access to plenty of booze. So I don't think you'll be able to finally this week Keep those two on top of the other 4,000 you've got stuck in your uh, in the garage. A minor correction, one's a club and one's a pub. One's a club. But, but they've got puggies yeah. and they've got and oh, they're right, very, okay. very good venues. They are. And Russell Mark and his partners uh, uh, run these two operations and they do it magnificently well. And he's our guest. Six-time Olympian and the world's most famous, or Australia's most famous, shooter. Russell, welcome to uh, Sport and Life. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad we've finished talking football. As a one-eyed Carlton <laughs> supporter, I'm over yeah, this year. Let's that. move on to the next subject. Hey, <laughs> he's an ambassador of Carlton, you know, for a long time. I yes. am. I am. I've been an ambassador there for uh, 26 years now, and I've yet, since I've taken over it as an ambassador, we're yet to win a grand final. I've been to one grand final, 99, and the rest has been disaster. Maybe they need better people than me to look after Hey, I, over their time, Carlton, I've shot a few people down, I can tell you. <laughs> Just on that ambassadorial role, uh, what are the, uh, the uh, prerequisites there? What, what is your, what's the charter? Nah, look, just to go to some of their corporate functions, Sam, when I'm available, I, I love going to the football. Sadly, I was at the Collingwood game a couple of weeks ago. That was the, oh. that was the hardest thing I've ever done. That, leaving the ground that night, um, I took my 15-year-old son with me and he refused to take his Carlton scarf off. So as we're walking out of the ground, every Collingwood supporter there is targeting him and he doesn't back down my young bloke he started mouthing off to a few of them and I just said Indy I pulled him aside said you've got to do one or two things you've got to take that scarf off or you've got to learn how to fight one or the other because <laughs> it's not going to work we lost you've got to cop it on the chin <laughs> yep. but as far as my, I'm, I'm concerned Sam no it's, it's just corporately I, I love the club I love the game but um, boy I'd love to see him in a grand final I can assure you let's get on the shooting and um, and uh, the uh, double trap uh, for the uninitiated and that's let's face it the majority of the population wouldn't know what a double trap was apart oh. from those that have been married more than once you've been a Fitzroy <laughs> <laughs> so what's, what's what's a double trap Look, in clay target shooting, there are three different disciplines of, um, uh, of clay target shooting at Olympic level. There's single trap, which is the event that Michael Diamond uh, made famous when he, he won the same Olympics I did back in 96. There's double trap, where we get two targets coming out of the trap layout at the same time. So that was the event that I specialised in. So you get one shot at each of two targets. And the other event is an event called skeet, which the targets fly across in front of you. So you've, you've got to shoot in front of them. That's the event that my wife Lauren competed in. So 
Um, there are three different branches that you can go down in shotgun shooting. And then, of course, there's rifle and pistol shooting. But you're right, it, it's not a sport that is, has been made famous in Australia. It's an everyday sport. It's probably more famous in the rural areas, obviously, than in the metropolitan areas. So unless you've been to a gun club, it's pretty difficult to explain it. Well, there's actually a, uh, a, a court, you call it a course for the pistol shooters? Uh, uh, anyway, they shoot across, I think it's the 17th um, fairway at Warrnambool Golf Course. So you can be playing golf and you <laughs> is it the time for the golfers to come through or time for the shooters to shoot? So I, I, I think that's still the case. If I was you, I'd give way to the, the shooters. shooters like, exactly what you never take a golf club to a gunfight, okay? You can never do that. Now, Russell, uh, I'm a country boy and one of the things we used to look forward to was duck season. That's when we, you know, pulled out our shotties and had a bit of fun. But uh, most kids in Australia, in Melbourne, grew up wanting to play cricket or wanting to play footy or emulate their stars in that, in that particular discipline. But, uh, you know, shooting was... Uh, you know, what led you into shooting? You know, you, you like your footy, you like your sport? It's a foot. It's a football-related story, Sam, for me. I used to play football for the East Ballarat under-16s, and I rolled my ankle at football training. I couldn't get to play the game that week. I was really sore. I went and watched them play at a ground in Ballarat called Sebastopol. East Ballarat played Sebastopol know, on their home ground. At halftime, the boys were getting massacred. I didn't go in the room to listen to the coach. I stayed on the fence, and a guy on the clay target range beside the Sebastopol football ground started shooting clay targets. And he was a friend of my father's. So I walked over and I watched him, and he said, do you want to have a shot? And I said, yeah, I know what to do. And my dad used to shoot a lot of clay targets, so I took the gun off him and I shot about 10 or 15 in a row. And the guy said, you need to come back to our novice competition here in about three weeks' time. So my father took me down to the Sebastopol novice competition. I missed my last target and came second. And it upset me that much. I said, I'm going to come back to this novice shoot again and I'm going to win it. And... Three or four months later, I went back and then won their novice competition and started shooting from that day on. I, it just was one of those things. If I had have hit that last target that night, I probably never would have gone back and shot. But I was so upset that I weakened on the last shot. It just spurred something in me. And, of course, being an Olympic sport, it probably had an appeal at cricket and football, which every kid in Ballarat played. Um, it probably had something in it. And I wanted to go to the Olympic Games in some capacity, but I was never going to do it in football or cricket and, and found a sport that could take me around the world. Interesting. There's always the finding moment in time, isn't there, to stir the juices? Yeah. Tell me, uh, this is probably an obvious question, but, you know, what are the... What are the uh, prerequisites of a uh, of a shooter obviously a, a keen eye and a steady hand would be uh, a couple i would imagine but what else constitutes uh, you know olympic 
Double well, trap champion. obviously being able to perform under pressure helps because your heart rate when you're at the Olympics is about 150 beats a minute. At competing at a, just a club event at Werribee, it might be 60 beats a minute. But anybody, and I'll say this honestly, anybody that's good at table tennis or badminton, I can turn them into a really good clay target shooter. And another football-related story, I'll give you a tip. The best guy I've ever taken shooting with me who was not a shooter, but I took this guy shooting one day down to a club at Geelong and he was unbelievably good at it, was Greg Williams. And, you know, Greg Williams had as good a hand-to-eye coordination as anybody that I've seen. And Greg, as a club target shooter, could have gone massively deep into the sport. But he just had a gift. And you see, Greg would have been good at any sport, I bet. But at clay target shooting, he was unbelievably good because his hand-to-eye coordination was incredible. Another Bella Rapoy. Uh, Bendigo. Bendigo. Um, right, oh, my, the Golden Square in Bendigo, my, I think, was his football club. But, yeah, he grew up in the research. bush but never really was a shooter. He, he sort of dabbled. He, he sort of enjoyed watching it and just wanted to have a go at it. So he... He called me up and said, do you mind if yeah. I come and have a shot with you? And he was so good, Leon, it was frightening. He wasn't averse to handing out a shot himself every now and again <laughs> elsewhere. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> you've obviously taught him very well. So, look, we always look at sport. I always look at shooting. I know it's an individual sport. Uh I looked at Formula One once and they said, what a great sport Formula One was. But... I always classified that as an engineering feat. You know, I didn't pay that much credit to the actual drivers, much to my, uh, much to, uh, <laughs> the mistakes I've made. But anyhow, in shooting, uh, is the is the, have the guns improved? Are the guns yeah, or is it's, the, is it's it the a good question, Sam? I mean, the gun that I used at the '96 Olympic Games was, was a blunderbath. I know that Beretta, and it was valued at thirty-five thousand dollars. The gun I shot at the 1988 Olympic Games, um, eight years earlier, was valued at $800. The two guns didn't shoot any differently. They were One of them was handmade and hand-engraved. One just come off a machine, you know, that was being produced at 1,000 guns a day. If you point the gun in the right direction, it will hit sure. what you're shooting So technology's at. not Real, the factor. Really, it hasn't increased. Um, there might be little things that have increased in the ammunition part of it, but... The guns itself, um, a gun's a gun. You point it in the right direction, it'll hit what you're shooting at. Now, now Russell, um, just uh, just a bit further to uh, when Sam was asking you about the ingredients you require to be a good shooter, I think I read or I was listening to somebody that said breathing is, a, is an important factor. I, I guess you've got to breathe, otherwise you won't be able to shoot. No, no, it's well. breathing to control your heart rate because under immense pressure, your heart rate will start to increase. And the, the devil in our sport is an increasing heart rate just as you're calling pull to shoot the target. So what you've got to do is work out how to decrease your heart rate in the 10 seconds prior to you actually firing at the target. And one of the easiest and simplest ways to do it is to take a deep breath and hear yourself exhale. And that, for whatever biomechanical reason, that lowers your heart rate. And if you want to shoot accurately, a declining heart rate will help you. So that's what you would have read. And that was developed, strangely enough, 
by a guy called Troy Flanagan at the Victorian Institute of Sport in the early 90s. They worked out a technique to do it. And Troy went and now he works for one of the football or hockey teams in in the United States. The guy now has made a name for himself in breathing techniques for elite sportsmen, but it was developed here in Melbourne um, by the VIS. So it's one of the, the great things in sport to work out how to improve. And some of the goal kickers in football, I've often thought that I could help somebody that's aiming at goal at 50 metres out to go through a process to kick the ball straight. But when you see guys miss at 15 or 20 metres out, and that's what they do for a living, they're not going through the process correctly. Whether you're aiming at goals or aiming at a target, the process to deliver the accurate shot is the same. And footballers would be well advised to you know, maybe use some of the techniques developed by the VIS. What about now, uh, just uh, on that, Russell? Um, would it, is it beneficial or not to you as a shooter, or those footballers you mentioned who are twenty-five meters out, uh, crunch shot um, for all their teammates to pat on the back, give them a bit of advice? All that I often thought they'd be better to stay away from it all. Oh, for sure. You need to be in a zone. The, the trick to shooting, whether it's at goal again or at a target, is to put yourself in a zone and for the six or seven seconds prior to you firing the gun or kicking the ball to go through a set process. And, you know, some of the great goal kickers, they were doing it. You saw them, they actually go through a process and they kick the ball. Not everyone gets through the goals, but a great majority. But the ones that get distracted by their teammates, um, yeah, that, that's that's not going to help them. You're best to leave them alone and let them go through it. But it's one thing in the AFL I've always struggled with, how badly some people can kick the ball at goal. And they're, they're, all they're doing is trying to do the same thing that an elite shooter would do. But it's one thing where I think the AFL could take the next step. I'm surprised that they haven't come to people like myself and asked for advice on that because it's a really easy thing to teach someone. They've got obviously to know the technical things, how to kick the ball, but it's doing it under pressure. And if you can teach someone to do that, you'd probably add another 25, 30 points a week to your score. Have you ever, uh, in your particular case, who taught you? I'm gonna say, I look at the movies like Sniper. You know, the snipers in the military. I guess they would be, not dissimilar to your good self, would they? Oh, they, they're the same. I mean, um, you know, the, I, I know a lot. Of, I, I these days work with the Indian team. and that, That's what I'm doing these days, travelling back and forth. I'm employed by them. And we're getting a lot of our elite shooters in the Indian team have been in the army and have been snipers. Because if you can handle the pressure of shooting for your life, then shooting at a clay target's really easy. And that's exactly, Sam, That, and I'm not being facetious in saying that. Those people are taught by great people to shoot for their life. They go through a process, and if they miss as a sniper, they're dead. They don't miss. If you've got one of these guys pointing a gun at you, you're dead. But then you take these guys and put them on a shooting range, and the pressure of shooting a clay target is nothing for them. And they all you need to do is teach them the technical things and they're halfway there. And India in 2004 at the Athens Olympic Games pulled a guy out of the army. They taught him how to shoot clay targets. 
and won India's first ever individual Olympic medal. And he didn't even he didn't even really come from a shooting background. But the same guy two years before at the Manchester Commonwealth Games, I shot a world record there. And that guy shot one more than me. He then broke my world record. So this guy came out of nowhere, and he was a sniper. And you know, there's some amazing yeah. stories in our sport from the backgrounds that some of these people come from. But it all goes back, you know, you, I can't tell just looking at someone who's going to be a great shooter. But get them on the range for an hour or so, you can soon work it out. Now, you've, you're coaching India now, but at one time you coached the head honcho and a little country just above Australia that most Australians have never been to before. Salt in the Brunei. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of the perks of the job, I guess. After the 96 Olympics, um, I, I took a gig up there. And I, I was, you know, when I went to the 96 Olympics, I was a real estate value. We had a company and my, it was my father's real estate company in Werribee and I worked in it as a valuer. And we were getting about three or 400 phone calls a day when I got home from Atlanta of people that wanted me just to be, you know, do something for them, nothing to do with real estate. And it was driving everyone in our business crazy. So we, my PA at the time was a young lady called Nancy Alafraco, her name was, and I said to Nancy, start screening the phone calls Nancy if it's nothing to do with real estate don't put them through to me be nice to them but tell them I'll get back to them at some stage in the near future one afternoon about three weeks after getting home from Atlanta a guy called up from the kingdom of Brunei and Nancy answered the phone and said I'm representing the salt of Brunei I want to speak to the Olympic gold medalist Russell Mark I believe he works there and ring back Nancy, Nancy just said you know look he's really busy call him back in give him a month or so and give him a call back and virtually hung up on the guy and thank God the assistant to the Sultan of Brunei went back to him and said, he won't even take my phone call. But he called back 30 minutes later and Nancy answered the phone again. And he said, I called half an hour ago. I'm from the kingdom of Brunei. I'm the personal assistant to the Sultan. We're increasing our wealth by 85 million US dollars <laughs> a minute. I'd like to speak to Russell Mark. And Nancy made a career move and put the call straight through to me. <laughs> and that's how I got to speak to the Sultan of Brunei. I hung up on him and 30 minutes later he called back and offered me a gig over there for a couple of weeks coaching his little brother, Prince Sufri, how to shoot clay targets. So he was a keen shooter, the Sultan himself? Um, they were really keen on shooting Sam, but they really sucked at it. They were terrible at it. They, you know, <laughs> they had easily the best shooting range on earth. I ended up flying over. He flew his jet down and I flew over to Brunei and went to his shooting range, which was mind-boggling good. But the safest things on that range were the clay targets because he could hit anything else but clay targets coming out of that layer. He was terrible at it. But I had an amazing time and a really good bloke. He was a really nice guy. But shooting wasn't his thing. He had no hand-to-eye coordination did at all. Have, but, did he have a sense of humour about that or, or was he um, frustrated? After four or five days, I just sat with him and I said, you know, one of the things I don't understand is every second day, you sort of shoot better than the day before. And then the next day you come back and shoot bad, then the next day you shoot good. And he sat down with me, started laughing. He says, I've got two wives. One of them's 45, one's 20. 
you work out which one I've been with the night before. <laughs> <laughs> so he did have a sense of humour, yeah. and I, I, I remain. He, he came over to Manchester to watch me shoot in 2002. He watched me shoot a world record and then lose it to an Indian sniper. But the guy realised that, okay, shooting's not for him. You can't buy your way into some sports. And he turned all of his shooting ranges into polo fields. They're all now polo fields, and I believe that's what their passion is these days. Well, gee, that it was one way of getting a contract extension, I guess, telling him one day he's okay, the second day is bad. We need to work at this a little bit longer, Sultan. <laughs> I guess after about twenty million in the Cayman Islands you didn't have to worry about it. Or sack the twenty year old. Now now, Russell, let's go through this fantastic Olympic experience oh, where of you yours. Start? Six Olympics, uh uh, when you first started, you know, you, you worked your way through the ranks and won this and won that. Then finally you're in the first Olympic. When was that? 88 Olympics in Seoul. Um, I, I was probably way out of my league going to Seoul, but I made the Olympic team. I went to the Olympic trials and won it. And it was the start of a regeneration of Australian shooting. We'd had virtually a group of three or four had been our Olympic team for the previous three games and it was the start of the period where I got in the team and then Michael Diamond followed me and we went to the 88 and, and 92 Olympics and then obviously after 92 we really accelerated through the sport and you know I won the 94 World Championship and then the 96 Olympics and Michael followed in, in the same footsteps so it, it's about how good you can build the pyramid though Leon it, you can't just do it on your own you need people around you and Australia had a very narrow pyramid of shooters but we got a high performance manager in from the um from the UK in about 93 and he started to build the depth of the team there was Michael and myself at the top but he built people underneath us and that's what you need whether it's a football team or whatever you need you mm. need a big team of people you can pick from and it when all these people started coming up underneath Michael and I, it made us better. And it was something that I was very grateful of, that we, we got a high-performance manager that could see that, okay, we can't just rely on Michael and Russell. We need other people. And he did it. He he started to build a really solid team. And we, we ended up for the later part of the 90s. Australia was the number one team in the world. And, you know, it's that's a big thing in our sport because it's European dominant. Apart from the United States, all the great shooting countries are Italy, Portugal, Spain, the Czech Republic, Russia. They're hard to beat in Europe. But Australia, from about 95 to 99, we were pretty much unbeatable, which was odd. And it was sort of like what the women did in aerial skiing, you know, in the Winter Olympics. It's odd that a sport like shooting can dominate like our aerial skiers did it. But it's really the people behind the scenes that build the team that don't get the recognition. But I was lucky to be involved in it at a time where we had some really good administration. And in 2007, Russell, in Germany, Munich, you were inducted as the greatest double trap shooter of all time. Yeah, that was a big honour, particularly from someone from Australia again. Yeah. I mean, uh, at that night, they inducted the 10 greatest marksmen 
in the history of the sport in rifle and pistol and everything and I was the only one from the southern hemisphere and the whole lot I mean it is a dominated sport from the northern hemisphere in particular Europe but for an Australian to get in there I thought you know personally I, I was obviously happy about it but it showed that Australia had done the right thing and you know Michael Diamond will be inducted in that I'm sure in the not too distant future also uh, we're on Sport and Life with Russell Mark, uh, six-time Olympian and, of course, world-famous shooter. Uh, you're off somewhere again, aren't you, soon? Sorry, Leon, I missed that. I'm off. Uh, are you travelling again soon? Yes. Yeah, I am. Uh, we're off to Slovenia uh, on Thursday, and then in two weeks' time, I'm in Croatia for the World Championships. Um, that's the start of the Olympic qualifying period. That is the first event that you can shoot well in and make the Paris Olympics. So coming into the next uh, 18 months, is, uh, I'll be travelling quite extensively. So I, I don't miss the travelling. I've got to admit, I miss all the relationships I've made in the sport. I wish there was a better and faster way to get to Europe. I'm sort of over-sitting on planes, but um, yeah, it's something, I I took the job with India, I've been honest about it, they just offered me a contract I couldn't refuse, I'd said no to India probably 10 times, Um, I would say conservatively 10 times in the past, but they made me a job offer that I couldn't refuse and they made my wife, Lauren, she's actually the high performance manager now of the Indian shooting team. She's technically now my boss, although a lot of people say she's always been the boss, but she's now no, no, a much that. harder role, much harder role than I have because for for women to take a, an administration job at that level over in a country like India is a huge thing for women in sport because the Indians probably haven't been famous for listening to women throughout history in their sport. It's been male-dominated, but Lauren's become one of the first people to actually pave the way and write new selection policies for them, and she's done a lot of work with that team now, and it, it's been interesting how they've accepted a foreign woman into a role like that, but she's a pretty hard boss. She rides me pretty hard, I can assure you. Now, Russell, uh, when do you intend retiring? Now, when does a shooter retire? When's the... Uh when does the curtain finally get drawn? Oh, when your hand-to-eye coordination starts to slow down. I mean, your best years as a shooter, Sam, are probably 30 to 35. I, it's like opening batsmen at cricket. There's probably some great opening batsmen technically that have had to retire because they don't see the ball as quickly come out of the bowler's hand. And by the time you're 35, it's very hard to improve. So... I competed till I was 50. My last Olympic Games was as a 50-year-old, or last Commonwealth Games, sorry. I retired in 2014 at the age of 50. But um, sadly, you know, that broaches on a subject that we should speak about. In the next week, the Melbourne Commonwealth Games people are going to announce whether shooting is in or out of the Commonwealth Games here in Melbourne. And I'm told very reliably because it wasn't in the Birmingham Games, they threw it out there, that sadly it's not going to be in the Melbourne Commonwealth Games. That would be a disastrous thing for our sport. The UK tossed it out because pistols are pretty much forbidden in the UK. They're not forbidden here in Australia, but at this very moment shooting is not on the program for the Commonwealth Games. And for countries like India, which rely on the Commonwealth Games to win the bulk of their medals through the shooting events, that's a disaster. So in two weeks' time we're told that announcement is made, I hope, that Dan Andrews and his friends have had a big think about 
tossing, shooting out because it'll have a devastating effect on our sport. Well, two things about shooting, uh, Russell, and this is what I want to ask you from a, your own conscience. I wouldn't imagine when you go out there say I'm a shooter, you know, it, it certainly... Uh, uh, the loyal throng would actually genuflect themselves in front of you. Because as you know, the gun lobby movement has been very, very powerful. Now I know you separate this sport from, you know, from domestic violence and people that run rampant around getting a gun law, getting a gun willy nilly. So where do you sit, how do you sit with all this? And how difficult is it for you to you know, to explain it to people who are adamant that, you know, guns should be outlawed full stop? Yeah, look, it's a tough question, but it's a good question, Sam. I mean, in 96, Michael Diamond and I won the 96 Olympic Games in July. But three months prior to that, there was the unfortunate massacre of 30-odd people in Tasmania with a lunatic that got his hands on a semi-automatic assault rifle and used that as a weapon and killed people. And from that moment on, we've had to justify why we wanted to use a shotgun as a piece of sporting equipment for our sport because people sadly refer to the sporting equipment that we use as a weapon That's and right. it's not a weapon oh, if you know a guy drove down the Burke Street mall in a car and used it as a weapon and killed a, you know half a dozen people he used that motor vehicle as a weapon he didn't use it as a car to get from A to B so there's no different with what that idiot did than what that that idiot did in in Port Arthur years ago. He used a firearm as a weapon. And absolutely, if you want to kill someone, a firearm's a good way to do it if you use it as a weapon. But 99.9% of the firearm offences that are caused in Australia are not by licensed firearm owners. They are from people that are prohibited from getting their hands on a firearm, but sadly do. And they use that firearm in the wrong way. What the courts and the police, I guess, need to do is be stricter on the people that misuse firearms. And every single licensed firearm owner in Australia would agree with what I just said. Punish the people that use firearms as weapons. Don't just put them in court and say, don't do that again and let them out again. But that's what's happening in Australia. We've got a revolving court system where people keep reoffending, And it's often the same people that have been in jail for some other reason for a brief period of time, get their hands on a firearm and then misuse it. But as people like myself pay the price for that. And, no. you know, it's, it's sad that we have to justify it, Sam, but no, I understand that's the that. world we live in now. Yeah, no, I understand being a recidivist and so forth, a repeat offender, but my uh, also, how difficult would it be, say, in America, where the lobby, the gun lobby group is so powerful from a voting perspective that no one wants to outlaw, plus your First Amendment is, you know, everyone in America owns a gun. So... Yeah, they, they hide behind that amendment, obviously. And you're right, you're right. The NRA in America are a very strong and powerful force. Um, you would have thought that Barack Obama would have taken on the gun lobby and probably beat them after the Sandy Hook school shooting where yeah. innocent little toddlers were killed, but he didn't take them on. Now, if he didn't take them on, why would they take them on now? I mean, they weren't going to win then and they're not going to win now. The NRA politically over there 
obviously have far more power than what the shooting groups have here in Australia. No Australia have got the gun laws right, Sam. You know, if you can prove that you're of sound mind yeah, and can store right. the mm. firearm correctly, you won't have any problems getting a firearm in Australia. But in America, there are still states where you can walk into a Walmart and buy a firearm as an 18-year-old. Now, but there's no state lines. They just transport it from those states to the states where firearms are a lot harder to get, but they misuse them. And while the, the NRA don't let there to be a national gun law, it'll never work over there. It'll never work. No one will be able to take them on. And it's sad. I don't want to live in the United States with their gun laws. I don't want to operate under that. I'm quite happy living here under ours. No, very well put and very well said. Well, you've been a superstar, mate. Uh, it's just a, I think it's just a shame sometimes that the sport is stigmatised because of the broader uh, issues. But uh, it's an extremely talented individual that can do what you've done. Double trap, Leon, uh, skeet. Yeah, at the back of us. Oh, you've only done a bit of the back of the uh, the back of the Titanic or the Ocean Liner. Remember, they fire the the, uh, the skeet up in the air and you fire it. Well, I was only thinking about <laughs> I, 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 I was only thinking about country people. They need guns, don't they? My word. So you're from the bush, yeah, and uh, we had a gun at home. Yeah, well, I I think there was a gun in our place in Kew uh, that my dad had. Oh, but he gave it up, Russell, years ago. I think they had a, 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 a gun... Moratorium. Moratorium. And uh, so I think Dad gave the, the, the yeah. rifle away. But it wasn't uncommon. But he's a country bloke. And it was common for them because they needed it for shooting animals that need to be put security, down. Security, yeah. All that's insecurity. Uh, but mainly the, the, to, get, uh, to, to end the misery of an animal. Uh, that's what they use them for. Exactly. So anyway, it's a big picture story. Um, Russell, on the more gentle matters, you're still coaching people here in Australia through go shooting. Yeah, Leon, my wife set up go shooting um, when she moved from the United States because corporate clay target shooting was a big activity in the United States. So Lauren set that business up and it did absolutely it's still going gangbusters now we have a lot of other people help us run that business now but for bucks party events and for corporate end of year functions and things like that and and obviously just the the coaching arm of go shooting yeah it's it's been a, a good business because it's brought people into the sport that that wouldn't normally have ever thought to try it. So, you know, we have a lot of football clubs come out in the pre-season and, and that's one of the activities for team bonding they do. And I'm really happy to, to reform that business with Lauren because it's seen a lot of people that never would have touched a firearm. They learn how to use it safely and they walk away having a respect for the firearm. And those people will never commit a firearms offence or accidentally shoot someone. So go shooting has done a, a lot for, for the sport. Russell Mark, you're a superstar. Thanks for joining us on Sport and Life. Uh, enjoy your next trip on Thursday and we look forward to having you back on Sport and Life to progress perhaps that discussion that Sam brought up because that is a very interesting one. We call it Sport and Life. Exactly. That's a life side that's so important and needs to be discussed fully. Indeed so. And by the way, when you get an opportunity, give the Sultan a ring, will you? And apologise for being patronising and taking those millions off him under false pretenses. Thanks, guys. It's been a pleasure to catch up. See you, mate. Russell Mark joining us on Sport and Life. Uh, Sam, great Australian, Russell Mark. Oh, Wonderful superstar. bloke.
he, he worked with us on the uh, yeah, VOC, Victorian Labor right. Council, mm. Olympians Club. Fantastic uh, compare. Oh, very! And he did a lot of work on the ABC. He, he used to it was work. Radio with, used to talk back w- with uh, Red Simons. Red Simons, and not only that, but he's very articulate. You can see, very polished performer. Wherever you put him, he'd be uh, well in place. Talking about that, we'll have another one next week on Sport and Life. Indeed, so.